I hope that you just got the same chill bumps that I did um, and feel certain uh, that um, the, the Lord was glorified and that we were ushered into His presence. And so I'm thankful for that. Thank you, Bobby, and thank you, choir, and Lynn, and Susie. Uh, beautiful. We're continuing our series in 1 John uh, this morning, Uh, John having established this structure of uh, his letter in the light and the love of uh, God is now going to fill those things out a little bit more, and so we're going to scoot along through through the book, so to speak, and try to highlight Uh, some of John's key points where he encourages and where he uh, assures uh, his friends toward a deeper love and fellowship with the Father while also encouraging uh, them of the depth of the Father's uh, love for them. So uh, we we might not necessarily uh, do every verse uh, throughout the rest of the book, but we're going to hit the high points uh, so that we... um, get the, the, the glorious picture of what John's trying to communicate to his people. Uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. If you're able and if you're willing, would you please stand as we read God's Word this morning. John writes to the church in the area of... Um, his friends and those surrounding, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together before we look into God's word. Father, thank you. that not only have we seen Your majesty and Your glory through uh, singing, but Lord, we ask now that You would enable us to see the fullness of Your majesty and glory through Your Word as we study. Especially, Lord, we ask that You would, that you would shine such a bright light on King Jesus Uh, that we are enamored with Him, that we were overwhelmed uh, by His love for us, uh, that we are so moved and so bothered by Your Holy Spirit that You transform our lives. And You shape us and You make us and You mold us, uh, even this morning, uh, to look uh, more uh, like the One who has loved us more than we love ourselves. Would you be so kind as to do that for us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. I wish more than anything uh, that so many of you could uh, experience RYM. 
Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar or uh, you've never had a child or a grandchild, uh, go to RYM. RYM stands for Reformed Youth Movement. Uh, it's put on by uh, our it's a, a camp, a, a one-week camp. They have them all over the United States. Uh, put on by our denomination where we invite students to come for a week and hear and see and experience uh, the joys of Jesus. And I could go into a million details and a million experiences that we enjoyed uh, together this week. Uh, Some that you would be so proud of, some that you probably wouldn't uh, be so proud of. And that's okay too. Um, it was it was a glorious week. I think the thing that stood out to me most was for a concentrated, isolated week. Our students were invited into and able to experience the fullness of a relationship with Jesus, whether they believe or not. The fullness of a relationship with Jesus in maybe ways that they'll never experience again in the rest of their life. I mean, think about this. Think about this with me. It's so unique and yet so, uh, so beautiful. You get to worship every day of the week. And I don't know about you, but hearing... 1,500 high school students sing at the top of their lungs hymns that you love and are familiar with and this church has sung for ages. It is a glorious sound. Seeing them be moved and, and, and take notes and even talk about with each other in small groups about the things that they're learning. Even so much, so far as to um, confess and open up about what their deepest struggles are with each other. And be able to apply to those deepest struggles the beauty of the gospel that they're hearing uh, this week, to be able to go to seminars, short, applicable, uh, really well-done seminars that are speaking into the things that they're dealing with in their life as high school students, which are drastically different than the things that you and I are dealing with. To see... High school students fellowship and laugh and be joyous and have fun is glorious to see. That is, that's, that's the full experience of Jesus. Now, on the one hand, I wish... Uh, that we could do that all the time as well, even as adults. It's like worship every day, sing every day, pray every day, confess our sins to each other every day. Unfortunately, we have these things called work and you know jobs and stuff like that. And so we can't be as intentional as this one week, uh, this one week camp. But man, it is 
glorious to see. It is glorious to see these students live into the fullness of Jesus. I think that's what John's getting at here in this second chapter. He wants his friends, he wants his fellow followers of Jesus to live into the fullness of a relationship with Jesus. Not halfway, not partway, not slightly. He wants them to experience the fullness of who Jesus is. The fullness of that relationship every day, all day. That love, to live into, into that love, to experience it. The problem is, there's something competing for that love. And that's what John wants to highlight for us this morning. There's something competing. How do we live into, push into, earnestly desire to experience the greatness and the fullness of Jesus' love daily? Moreover, what's keeping us? from experiencing and living into uh, that fullness. I want us to see three things um, uh, this morning. The first is that we have to realize, as John says, we have to realize that there is a competition for our love. Look at verse 15 with me. He gives us two mutually exclusive objects of our love. He gives us a command uh, with a rationale, uh, if you will, that's honestly stood the test of time. It's as old as time. You cannot love God and also love everything that prevents you from loving God. That's essentially what he says. You cannot love God and love anything that places itself over and against God. John's saying that divided affections tear at the fabric of genuine love. Such was the case with Adam and Eve. Think with me. There's competition for their love. Such was the case with Cain and Abel. Such was the case with David and Bathsheba. Such was the case for Jonah, as we just read, in this, in this relationship with Nineveh and being God's spokesperson to these lost people. And you can see the struggle even in Jonah's heart as he tries to figure out who he is in relation ship with God. Genuine believers who love God but also find themselves in an everyday struggle of loving God versus loving other things as much or more uh, than God. Well, okay, that's great, Chad, but what does John practically mean? That's a great question. What does John uh, practically mean? Does this mean we are supposed to hate the created world? Or that we're supposed to hate economical and social structures, even hate uh, culture in all of its unique uh, beauties. And there, you and I all know all too well that there have certainly been movements within Christendom uh, that have moved toward ascetic approaches uh, to pull away from uh, the world so as to try to be obedient to this very uh, text. So what does John mean? Well, we can be sure of this. We can be sure that he doesn't mean something that is contrary to the rest of Scripture. That's to say, who created the world and called it good? God. 
God created the world and called it good. Food, beauty, seasons, majestic landscapes, sex, even beautiful music through creation, all created by God for His glory, for His good government, structures, uh, cultures, are all meant for the flourishing of uh, creation. Can you enjoy good food and good music, and good vacations that allow you to see the majesty of God? Absolutely. Absolutely you can. And so John does not mean that we have to hate the world, or we have to hate the structures, or we have to hate the culture. You and I were created to enjoy the loveliness of God and His creation with Him. Let me see if I can illustrate it. Um, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. I remember this day um, for as long as I live, in, in part because of the uncomfortableness of it. I remember walking to the store. Uh, sorry, not store. That sounds like piggly wiggly. I remember walking to the jewelry store to go and purchase Kelly's engagement ring. Now. Most of you probably know, some of you don't, and that's okay. As the old country song goes, I can skin a buck and I can run a trot line, but when it comes to picking out engagement rings, that's not my gig, okay? I don't know what I'm doing. I can look online, thank God for the internet, I can look and see color and clarity and size and all of those things that you have to figure out when you're picking out a diamond but it's it's way out of my comfort zone and so I remember uh, walking into this jewelry store and I meet this uh, nice man he's I'm here to pick out an engagement ring well what does she want you know round diamond and all this sort of thing and so like on next thing I know there's 40 diamonds out on the thing before me and I am undone overwhelmed and so he starts talking all of the jargon. I mean, this diamond has this clarity and this color. And, so, and I'm just lost as a goose because of how much is... And so he went on for... I, it, must have, it probably wasn't this long, but it felt like this long. He must have gone on for 30 minutes talking about each one of these diamonds. And I'm just going deeper and deeper in the hole. And finally, with as much patience and kindness as I could muster, I had to stop him and say, hey, I, l- listen, man, I, I get it. You are, you, are, you are killing it at your job. How much does this one cost? Okay, let's put that one back. How much does this one cost? Okay, let's put that one back. How much does this one cost? All right, that one fits. Let's set it over here. How much does this... I had to start with my own rubric. I think at that point, he realized what he was dealing with. And so we narrowed it down to two, and I couldn't decide. And I tried every way imaginable to help get him to help me decide. And he, of course, a good salesman of fine jewelry is not going to do that. He wanted me to make my own decision for my own spouse. And so... There ensued another 30 minutes of me scratching my head. He said, hey, I'll tell you what. 
I'm going to take these two. We're going to put them in this bag. Let's walk outside. I thought, oh, okay, that's a lot of money. I'm going to let you hold it. How about that? We walk outside, and he empties the bag out in his hand, and the sun hit those diamonds blinded. Like, had to look away. And he said, no, 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 that, that's the point. L- look, look at the two. And as I looked at the two, there was one that sparkled more than the other. Now, I know that's so redneck and so... But there was one diamond that sparkled more than the other. And that's what I certainly wanted to communicate to Kelly. The sparkle... That's what John is saying to us here in this text. Listen, the world is a beautiful place. It's full of beautiful things. But those beautiful things and the world in of itself were never meant to sparkle more than God. And sometimes in our eyes, it does. It sparkles more than God. And it's so alluring and it's so enveloping that we can't take our eyes off of it and we come fixated on it. And John says, that's a misappropriation of what God created the world to be. And therefore, it inches toward worldliness. Can you identify uh, these places uh, that... um, where the competition is most intense in your life? The places or the things or the people in your life that sparkle because they were meant to, but your inclinations and your affections and your, tr- your struggles take their sparkle to the deep places in your heart and your mind and your dreams and your wallet in a way that asks God to scoot over on the throne of your heart. It's worth asking the question, is there anything that sparkles more to me uh, than God? Fortunately, John's going to help us answer uh, that question in the very uh, next section, verse 16. Not only do we have to realize that there uh, is a competition for our love, but we have to know what the competition looks like. We have to know what the competition looks like. And in verse 16, uh, John spells that out for us. He gives us the negative uh, side of this, and there's a positive as well. He gives us three descriptions of the sparkle of the world uh, that is so alluring. Uh, And there have been so many volumes uh, written and scholars preached and spoken about this passage Um, I'd like to take a little different approach this morning. Rather than camping out in the uh, sinful, worldly sparkles, I'd like to try to balance those uh, negative sparkles of the world with the positive sparkles of uh, the Heavenly Father. Uh, John says one of the sparkles of the world is uh, the desires of the flesh. Here's what he means when he says the desires of the flesh. He means sensuality. He means the senses being overcome. It may be best described as over-desire 
if you can think about it uh, that way. Uh, the abuse of natural desire with insatiable uh, desire. A natural desire for food and drink and sex and all those sort of things that make you appreciate the Father as Creator. That's beautiful. It's when we take those natural desires and turn them into over-desires for food and drink and sex and other aspects of the senses that pull us, away for, pull us away from God and make us crave those things more and more and more. And when one of these things begins to dictate our behavior more than our love for God, that's when you start to get the suspicion that Maybe this is something that's a little too worldly uh, for me. What's the, what's the counterbalance to that? What's the opposite of that? Well, Jesus loved celebrating the sensory created order. He saved the best wine for last at the wedding of his dear friends. But his love wasn't for the wine itself, was it? What was Jesus communicating in that miracle that he performed? It wasn't that, that wine is so good that you should pursue it and pursue it and pursue it and pursue it and pursue it. It was that the wine is communicating something so much bigger. It's this great love for his friends that's a part of a greater kingdom that's a part of a greater end. Food and wine and all these things are never about the entity themselves. The question we have to ask is, well, okay, which characterizes our life more? Over-desire, over-consumption, or desire and consumption that points to something greater? That points to a Heavenly Father's love. Maybe let me be a little more clear if I can. Jesus loves it when you enjoy great food. And He loves it when you enjoy great drink and great fellowship with friends. All those things evidence His glory. Every one of those things evidence His glory. But pushing the limits with food and pushing the limits with drink and pushing the limits with fellowship in a way that creates an inability to be able to see Jesus and also care for our other responsibilities as well as care for others, that might be when we're caving to the desires of the flesh. That's what John would have us see. The competition looks like sensuality, but it also looks like materialism. Look in verse 16 again with me, the desire of the eyes or the over-desire for the things we set our gaze upon, honing in on things uh, to the degree that we can't be happy without them. Uh, we're jealous and resentful of others for having uh, them, and we don't, so we make unwise decisions to have that impinge on even greater things. You see, Jesus gave us a beautiful example of this as well. Instead of honing in on other things so as to acquire other things, especially with the purpose of just having them, Jesus loved to share everything that He had. Jesus loved to give away everything that 
he had for the sake of other. There's the balance. It's not that you can't have nice things, right? It's not that you can't have nice, new, great things. Rather, what's happening on the inside of you in the process of acquiring those things? And furthermore, what do you do with them once you have them? You see, that's the question. God wants us to enjoy His sweet and generous blessings. It's a picture of His love. He also wants, to, he also wants us to allow others to enjoy those blessings as well. And let me be, hopefully maybe encouraging. Some of you have beautiful homes. Some of you have beautiful landscape. And when you share those beautiful homes and that beautiful landscape and your beautiful wealth with other people for the benefit of others, that brings glory to God. And that is the antithesis of worldliness. That's actually righteousness and beauty. It's embodying the very presence of Jesus who is willing to say, you can have everything that I am for your good. Are there ways we can look to and thank God uh, for the opportunity to allow others to enjoy uh, the blessings uh, that God's given us. So, he, John says that one of the sparkles of the world is sensuality, the other is materialism, and the last is maybe the hardest, pride. The pride of life or self-glorification, uh, the promotion of self, taking God's blessings on you and making it your boast. Now, Yes, there are plenty of ways to do this. And most, most of the time, we're self-aware enough, most of the time, we're self-aware enough not to let these things kind of get out. Even though they, do, they are in our lives, we usually don't allow them to externally be uh, seen. Um, pride in family name or talents or jobs or schools or money or activities or even activism. Um, we can take pride in those things. Maybe that's some of your struggle. Uh, if it is, I, I struggle to see it in you, but you can confess that to the Lord. Uh, he'll forgive that. But I think maybe uh, the one that's more subtle and more acceptable, and yet maybe as equally uh, grotesque and dangerous, is boasting in what we know. Boasting in what we know. How do you know what you know? How do you know it's true? How do you convey what you know to others? You see, this, this is where it gets tricky because the pride of life can show up in so many places, but maybe one of the most painful ways in, in, in which we see it is when we try to share what we know. We'll fight will unhealthily argue, will vent, will cut others off, will interrupt, will discredit and devalue the very image of God because you refuse to hear and agree with what I know. You see how that works? You see how that happens? 
It happens every single day. You don't agree with me? You don't even want to hear me? It's the pride of life. It, it even shows up in the church. Are we a church with knowledge? Or are we a church who longingly knows God? That's dangerous for Presbyterians. Jesus, the omniscient one, just graciously and kindly and forthrightly pointed back to God's Word. He knew everything. He omniscient. He knew everything and He just... But Jesus, You're the Messiah. You're the one that's come to save the world. I'm, I'm, I'm here to do the Father's will. You see that? I'm here to do the Father's will. It's hard. It's so hard. The sparkle of worldliness can be so powerful and so subtle and so pervasive in our lives. So the last question is this, and quickly... Who wins? There's competition for our love. We now see what that competition looks like. Who wins? And, and moreover, like, how do we fight? How do we fight against uh, worldliness? It, look at verse 17, if you will. John says, The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I'd like to read an illustration to you, if that's okay. It's an illustration that you'll be so familiar uh, with. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those 40 days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. You do, you do crazy stuff when you're hungry, don't you? Not Jesus. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Sensuality. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Materialism. And Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And He took Him up to Jerusalem and set Him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to Him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for Him from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone, pride. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Friends, <laughs> Jesus withstood the greatest 
of worldly temptations, he perfectly did the will of the Father, and in his perfection, he passed away, carrying with him all of the penalty and pain and justice for our worldliness and our desires so that you get to live into the fullness of Jesus forever, so that you get to fight for the fullness of Jesus until forever arrives. You think worldliness shows up at RYM? Come on. High school boys and high school girls at the beach together? Come on. Of course it should. Moreover, high school boys in sports competitions with other high school boys from all around the United States. There's a whole lot of worldliness going on. Maybe even the best one. Chaperones who miss their comforts and joys and warm showers of their own homes. There's a lot of worldliness. But guess what? These students were in the fight. They're in the fight. They're in the fight of worshiping and singing and praying and fellowshipping and confessing and forgiving forgiving each other and repenting and joy and laughter and hope and unity and not having to be in the fight alone. It's the beauty of the church. Where we'll end with this question. Where else are you going to live into the fullness of Jesus? Where else are you going to live into the fullness of Jesus and at the same time fight against worldliness? Let's pray. Father, when you, through your apostles and disciples, wrote your word, um, especially when you wrote and knew that it would be able to divide between bone and marrow, which seem inseparable. You were so right and you knew us so well because we won't get home before worldliness in some capacity will seek to have our affections and have our love. King Jesus, thank You for dying for our worldliness. Thank You. We do not deserve that. And You did it anyways. And we bless Your name this morning because You died for our worldliness. Would You also help us through the power of Your Holy Spirit to fight against that, to push back against that, to ask for help, to ask for forgiveness, to confess when we, when we succumb to worldliness and know that You will indeed help us to love righteousness more, Lord. You certainly gave us 
beautiful examples. Would you make those examples to be real for us? And help us to see the beauty and the truth and the hope and the glory of longing to love You, Father, more than what we see. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.